Praise the Lord. He is worthy of all of our worship, worthy of all our praise. They used to sing a song, the Spear family sang it for a long time about the worthiness. And I used to preach a sermon about the transcendent worthiness of Christ. He is worthy. You know, the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, and they sang a new song. That's all the redeemed people in heaven. Amen. Angels cannot sing this song. Amen. Only redeemed people by the blood of Jesus can sing this song. Revelation 5 and 9. And they sang a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to loose the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us unto God by thine own blood out of every kindred, people, language, tongue, and nation, and has made us unto our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign with him upon the earth. Wow, what a verse that is. Amen. A new song that we sing when we get to heaven. Thou art worthy to take the book and loose the seals. Lord, we thank you for another opportunity this side of eternity to stand in this pulpit and to preach your word. So many hundreds of times have passed over my head that I have stood and preached to this congregation. And I ask you, O oh Lord, this morning that your grace, your power, your love, your concern for us would just permeate these premises and hallow these grounds. Touch us, O oh Lord, right now as we humble ourselves before your word. And may your word truly become a quickening spirit within us. Help us, O oh Lord, to hear with spirit ears what the Holy Ghost has to say to the church. We pray that prayer in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen and amen. Well, the book of the Acts of the Apostles probably should read the Acts of the Holy Spirit through uh, the Apostles. Amen. I love the book of Acts because it tells us of that first initial period when the church went out and did the Great Commission. You believe we ought to be a Great Commission church? I believe we ought to be a Great Commission church to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I believe that God has ordained the church in these last days to be a voice for Him and to speak for Him. And that is becoming more and more difficult as the days go by. It seems that there seems to be a shift, a paradigm shift, and a move away from God and away from uh, believing in the Bible, away from the moral values that we have embraced for years as uh, people of a nation. We try to believe that this is one nation under God, but it is becoming more to look like something else other than one nation under God. We read about our founding fathers and their intent uh, under Almighty God. You'll, you'll uh, read the, the paragraphs and the sentences that tell us about their original intent in coming to this country, that this would be a nation that would be founded, that would be free, that people could live here and, and, and worship God as, as they please. But it seems that now it's not just a, a matter of just living together, it's a matter of uh, if you don't agree with me, I'm going to be mad at you and be mean to you and I'm going to be oppressive uh, towards you. And we seem to have a, a target on our chest. And I'm not, I don't have a victim uh, mentality. I just want you to know that we're in a battle. 
and that we're in a, a, a conflict. The Bible tells us that the spirit lusteth against the flesh and the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the twain are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. What that tells us that every day that I put these number 10s on the floor and get up out of that bed, the battle is on. The battle is on. Every time I walk in this pulpit, the battle is on. Everything that we do when we go to a, a public place to eat or whatever, the battle is on. And it, it's imperative that we maintain our identity as the people of God in these last days because if we lose that identity, you lose your influence. And if you lose your influence, you lose your testimony. And if you lose your testimony, you just become a name and on, only uh, uh, kind of a Christian. I don't want to be in name only. I want to be uh, authentic. I want to be genuine. I want to be real. Amen. Don't you? I want to be that way before the Lord. We used to sing a song when I was a, a little kid. It's too old for most of you to remember. It was in the old paperback where they used to publish all the time. And I think Charles B. Wycuff probably wrote that one. One of my good friends over in South Carolina it was once a man named Stephen preached about the Lord. Folks were saved and folks were healed as they heard his word. Who is this man, Stephen? Where did he come from? How did he get his name in the book? Well, he's not a very well-known fellow and wasn't at the time. In fact, I've heard preachers preach and say he was just an ordinary, everyday kind of guy that got saved and uh, started living for God, and God uh, called him to preach and uh, gave him a, a message to preach, and he preached that message of, about the authenticity of Jesus as the Messiah that Israel was looking for, that Jesus was the answer to all of their, their searching and all of their questions, that Jesus was right for whatever was wrong uh, in, in Israel. And he began preaching that, and boy, he uh, observed some things that, uh, happened in some of the patriarchs and happened with, with some of the, the people in Israel's history that uh, uh, alarmed him and he began to cry out against that kind of thing. And, you know, they were having a, a meeting over at the church with the apostles and they were, they were so busy ministering to the needs of people that they weren't doing a, a whole lot of preaching and doing a lot of evangelism. So they said they... It seemed good to the Holy Ghost, and it seemed good to, to them, and it made good sense that the Bible said for them to appoint some people over that business to take care of widows and orphans and the needs that they had. And said so that the preachers can give themselves to study and prayer so that they can preach the Word and fulfill the Great Commission. Makes sense, doesn't it? And the Bible said, Seek ye out men who are, are men of faith, and seek out men who are full of the Holy Ghost. Brother, if that were a requirement today, I wonder how many we'd have to say, you know, you, I don't know if you can serve or not. I don't know if you're full of the Holy Ghost or not. Well, how could you know if you got to select men that are full of the Holy Ghost, there's got to be some way of knowing who someone is that's full of the Holy Ghost. Praise the Lord. In 
when James and John came down out of the upper room and began the, the preaching miracle that took place on the day of Pentecost. And in the third chapter, when they went in at the uh, gate, which is called Beautiful, and in, entered into the temple and saw the man there uh, begging for alms and asking alms, uh, Peter and John stopped and looked at him. And the Bible said, and Peter fastening his eyes upon him, being full of the Holy Ghost. Being full of the Holy Ghost, said, Wilt thou be made whole? Praise the Lord. And reached down and got that guy by the hand and lifted him up off the ground. And the Bible said he was healed and went his way into the temple, leaping and rejoicing and praising God. Hallelujah. Well, evidently, there are some fruit in our life. They're called love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, long-suffering, faith, patience, and temperance. There's fruit in our life that are what we call fruit of the Spirit. And our fruit testify that we are full of the Holy Ghost. People that are full of the Holy Ghost are people who love, people who are are, are gentle, people who are long-suffering, people who are patient, people who, are, who are, are faithful, all those nine graces. And I want to tell you, those nine graces are not optional. They're not extracurricular. They're mandatory. Every one of us ought to be full of the Holy Ghost. Everybody in this house ought to be full of the Holy Ghost. If you're not, you ought to be. Well, Brother Jerry, I, I, I sometimes, well, you ought to be seeking all the time. The Bible said, tarry until you be endued with power. Jesus said that, tarry until you be endued with power. That's not a suggestion. That's a mandate. Why do I need the Holy Ghost, Brother Jerry? Because you can't make it without him. You need him. He's the comforter. He's the guide. He will lead you. He will guide you into all the truth. He will strengthen you. He will open things to your, your mentality so that you can absorb things that you need to know. And Stephen was a man full of the Holy Ghost. Praise the Lord. And the Bible said, and they selected him to serve in that office. But while he's serving in that office, he took such a stand for God that he really aggravated some very religious people. Now, sometimes being full of the Holy Ghost makes you a little bit controversial. Amen. Because sometimes popular opinion and the Holy Ghost don't go along together too good. Sometimes popular opinion goes a different direction from what those who are full of the Holy Ghost go. There are times when you've got to take a stand and say, I don't do that. I don't, don't, I don't go that direction. I, I don't participate in that. Come on, somebody. Why is that? Because I'm full of the Holy Ghost. And God put the Spirit of God in me. And God put the divine presence of God in me. And I, I cannot take that lightly, and I ca cannot disregard the presence of the Holy Spirit in me. I've got to walk in the Spirit, amen, so that the flesh 
doesn't rule and the flesh doesn't take over. And I've got to be strong in spirit and strong in the Holy Ghost or else my flesh will want to take over. And if my flesh takes over, that's not good news for me. If my flesh takes over, I'm headed in the wrong direction. I'm traveling the wrong path. Amen. I've got to defeat and bring my flesh. Paul said, I, I bring my body under subjection. I bring my body under subjection. I don't just haphazardly and wildly, disorderly go about this thing called living for God. Amen. You make up your mind what, what you are and who you are in the prayer closet. Amen. And when you come out here, your goal is not to impress anybody with how spiritual you are or anything like that. Amen? The goal is to serve Him in the beauty of holiness. And it, the goal is to walk the walk of the Spirit of God and please Him who has called us into this grace. Amen? Now that kind of preaching won't win you any awards. Amen? That's not popular and I understand. I understand that cuts against the grain. But repentance always cuts against the grain. And to have the revival we want to see, we're going to have to address some things that cut against the grain. Are you listening to pastor? There's some things that we've got to allow the Holy Spirit to do some surgery. There's some things that we've got to allow the Holy Ghost to take over and take charge of in our lives. Amen. There's some things that have been left dangling. Thank you, Holy Ghost, for anointing me this morning. There's some things that you've left dangling, some things that hadn't been tied up yet that's still just loose. Well, I hadn't really decided how, what I'm going to do about that or not. That might be a little bit extreme, you know. Come on, somebody. The Holy Spirit will never lead you where God's grace cannot sustain you. The Holy Spirit will never do a work in your life but what the Holy Spirit and the grace of God and the power of God will stand by you and strengthen you and lift up your heart and encourage your spirit and give you a determination to go on with God. I'm just telling you, in these last days, you're going to have to be determined determined and go through with God. Stephen, because he preached like he preached and acted like he acted, you got chapter 7. And brother, chapter 7 is all about what happened when they arrested Stephen and when they carried him down to headquarters and began to interrogate him. And, and here comes the high priest and, and here comes the, the, the grand kahuna of the whole priesthood business over there. The, the, the chief priest came and they were demanding, this man is preaching heresy and this man is preaching blasphemous things. He's saying things like uh, the, the, the temple and the tabernacle that Jesus said that tabernacle was going to be coming down one of these days. 
He said blasphemous things about our temple and about our people. He's actually said that Moses and his law, that there was going to come a time when grace would be administered to people, that Moses' law would not be that restraining power that it is right now. He's teaching things about, about Joseph and uh, blaspheming the prophets and, and all of this. And, and brother, blasphemy is a serious thing and you ought to die for being blasphemous and saying things against what we've believed for thousands of years. Well, Stephen had to get him a defense ready quick. He had to get some, get some things together quick to let them know, I'm not trying to hurt you, I'm trying to help you. And I'm not trying to cut anything away, I'm trying to add to. I'm not trying to tear down, I'm trying to build up. Because our patriarchs and our, our people that have gone before us have laid us a good track to walk and a good track uh, to, to live in. And he goes into this whole discussion about Abraham and about how Abraham was a man of faith and how that God spoke to him and he said, Get up, 12th chapter of Genesis, get up and go to a land that I will show you. And verse 4 said, So Abraham departed. God said, get up and go. Fourth verse said, so he got up and went. We call him the father of all the faithful. We call him the friend of God. Oh, what a great man of faith Abraham was. What a great man of faith he was. What a, what a great patriarch, a, a, a believer, a, a man who walked with God. And he had all of these great promises that God had given to him. God had promised him two very important things. Number one, God had promised him children. God said, brother, you're going to have so many youngins. Sands of the sea, stars of the heaven, that's a lot of youngins. Boy, God is just going to explode this population. And brother, there's going to be more people than you can shake a stick at. I promise you, blessing, I'm going to bless you. Multiplying, I'm going to multiply you. And I'm going to enter into a covenant with you that wheresoever you set your foot, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to keep you. I'm going to sustain you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you the father of all the faithful. And in you, all the people of the earth will be blessed. Thy seed and thy, thy, thy people are going to be a blessing to the whole earth. I, I blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply you. Second thing he said, I'm going to give you the land. I've got a land and I promise you, I'm going to give it to you. It's called the land of Canaan. And some say it flows with milk and honey. And said, I promise you, I got you a bunch of people and I promise you something, land. Do you know why land is such a big deal over in Israel right now? Because every one of those Israeli people feel like God gave it to me. And the world can't take it away. God gave it to me. God promised it. And that's why the, the Israeli people right now are so strong about land. Land, they're, they're just really, because they feel like Abraham is the one that made them that covenant and made them that promise, and they won't back off of it. Hallelujah. Land and people, what a promise. 
that God had given to him. And Abraham served the Lord. And when God then brought about a, a time when his people went down into Egypt's bondage, and, and, and the Bible said that lasted 400 years, but there was a God who was at work in the life of a young man named Joseph. And Joseph became a, a preacher to the people of Egypt. You know how he came about, don't you? It was in Egypt that the, the, the people of God began multiplying so much like Abraham said. And, and I don't know how in the world they did this. But there were 75 that they started with. And in short order, there was 2 million and 40-something thousand of them. Brother, that's having babies mighty quick. Do y'all realize how fast that is in the maternity ward? Do you know how many? Just think for a minute. From 75 to over 2 million? Brother, that's a steady run to the delivery room in my book. I'm telling you, how do you, can you have kids that fast? But here they are down in, in, in Egypt, and they've never lived free. They're, they're, they're born into slavery. They've never taken a step of freedom. They've never breathed a, a breath of, of freedom. They've never known what it was like to not get up and be oppressed and be under some kind of yoke or under some kind of burden that they could never make decisions for their own selves that they constantly had to obey commands and constantly had to be under all of this rule and all of this power of, of the Egyptians. And the Bible said that there was a, a Pharaoh that arose that didn't know Joseph. And that's what changed everything. That's what brought on all the oppression. That's what brought on all of the, all of the suffering and all the, that went by. And the Bible said when Joseph died, he brought his coffin around there and they cremated him and put his ashes in that coffin. And he said to him, when you leave here, God is going to bring a day when you're going to be set free. God is going to bring a day when you're going to realize freedom. God is going to bring a day when your yoke will be off. God's going to bring a day when the shackles will fall. God's going to bring a day when the prison doors will come open and you'll be free again. There's coming a time. And when that time comes, don't you leave me down here in Egypt. You get my coffin and you take me back to that land God promised. You take me back to Abraham's home. You take me back where I belong. I'm a, I'm a sojourner here. I'm out of place here. I'm dislocated here. But when I die and you get that day of deliverance, you don't forget me. You take me home too. I preach a sermon sometimes, a coffin in Egypt. Wow. Praise God. That same God's going to take me home one of these days. 
one ordinary day just like this day my God's gonna do something in this world and graves are gonna burst wide open and grave guards are gonna give up their dead and the sea's gonna give up the dead that are in it and praise God there's gonna be a meeting in the air glory to God and we're gonna fly away to be with Jesus praise God I'm looking forward to that time but till that time comes Oh, what joy it is to be in His presence. Hallelujah. What a figure Joseph was. What a great example Joseph was. And then we, we get to this, this guy called Moses. Because Moses was one of those Hebrew children. And the Bible tells us that, that Moses had a mother... Her name was Jochebed. And Jochebed picked the paper up one day and read some news. You know what it said? It said, the new Pharaoh has decided that he's going to commit infanticide. Infanticide. That means kill babies. We're going to kill all the males of these Jewish people. Because... We hear that they're looking for an emancipator. They're looking for a, a leader. They're looking for someone that will bring them peace. They're looking for someone that will be a, a deliverer for them. We don't want that to happen, so we're going to kill all their babies. And the Bible said, and Moses was born into just such an environment. Boy. Talking about getting a, a tough, tough deal on who's your mom and daddy. Well, I tell you about that right now, I didn't get a chance to choose who my mama would be. Well, poor thing. I didn't ask to come into this world. Wasn't my decision. I didn't ask for this. Come on, somebody. That's about as foolish as anything I've ever heard in my life. Verse 17 of chapter 7, But when the time of the promise drew nigh, when the time of the promise drew nigh, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt, till another king arose which knew not Joseph. The same dealt subtly with our kindred and evil and treated our fathers so that they cast out their young children to the end they might not live. In which time Moses was born. But he was exceeding fair and nourished up in his father's house three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. As the Jewish people would call him Moshe. Moshe was quite an intelligent person. And when he was brought up, 40 years, 40 is a figure that just keeps prop, cropping up, doesn't it? For 40 years, he lived in the house of Pharaoh. And he learned all of the intelligence of, of the Egyptian uh, empire at that time. All of the kingdom of Egypt was at his disposal. In fact, he was regarded as part of the 
family, part of the royal family because he was raised right there in the palace. Isn't that fantastic? Did you know that the Egyptian alphabet was invented by Joseph? Wow. Did you know that many of the cultural benefits that they enjoy in Egypt to this day were accomplished by Joseph? Did you know that he was renowned for architecture and for geometry and plane geometry and trigonometry and wrote manuals and about the mathematical systems? When the Bible said he was learned and skilled in all of the Egyptian customs and ways that we're talking about a very intelligent person here. When Moses was born, he was nourished up in his father's house three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him. And Moses was learned in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. Just like Joseph before him, Moses was very, very learned in all this wisdom. Verse 23, and when he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. Praise God, who you are will eventually come out. The Bible said it came into his heart to go and visit with his people. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. Praise the Lord. Verse 25. For when he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. Now we're getting here a whole lot of messianic connection between Jesus and Moses at this point. In fact, Moses even says later in this text, there will later, he, one that is coming, the one that is coming will be a prophet like me. He'll be like me. He'll be a leader like me, and he'll be a prophet like me, and he will do the things that I do. Praise the Lord. Who is he talking about? Oh, you're not listening. Jesus. Moses was saying, Jesus is coming. Moses was saying, one day there's going to be a deliverer come and he's going to be a prophet like me. He's going to be a priest and he's going to be a king. Come on, somebody. He's going to be a king, he's going to be a priest, and he's going to be a prophet. I said he's going to be a king, he's going to be a priest, and he's going to be a prophet. Praise be unto God. And he said, he'll be a prophet just like me. For he supposed that his brethren would understood. He just took for granted that because these people are Jewish and because they're children of Abraham, that they know all about what's going on, praise God. And they shouldn't be surprised that I would take up for an Israeli and would slay an Egyptian who was doing an Israeli wrong. Wow. It's tough when you think somebody's got it when they hadn't got it. 
We've taken in a lot of good new members. God bless you. We're so glad you're here. We've got, we got two kind of folks around here. I might as well get you initiated real good. We've got two kind of folks around here. We've got don't-gets-its. Sometimes I think we've got more don't-gets-it than we do gets it. On the other hand, we got some gets it around here. They understand what we're doing here. They understand what's going on. They understand why I preach like I preach. They understand how the Holy Spirit moves. They understand how prayer gets answered. They understand about singing and making melody in your heart. They understand. They get it. I said, they get it. But what happened to Moses, he ran up on a bunch of don't gets it. They should have got it, but they didn't get it. For some reason, when we get to the bottom of this text, when it talks about uncircumcised ears and uncircumcised hearts, then you'll realize why they don't get it. Sometimes I wonder how many of us gets it. Sometimes I look at some situations and I want to just scream, don't you get it? What's the matter with you? Don't you get it? God help us to be gets it. God help us to know who Jesus is. God help us to know what Jesus does. God help us to know. The doctrine of salvation. God help us to know about the redemptive provision. God help us to know about the spirits indwelling. God help us to be one of those gets it. Moses was out there dealing with a couple of folks and one of them was a don't gets it. And he says this to Moses when Moses said, I, I thought you, you, you got this, 26th verse. And the next day, he showed himself unto them as they strove and would have set them one again, saying, Sirs, your brethren, why do you wrong one another? In other words, those two were in a dispute. Two Israeli people, two Hebrew people were in a dispute, and he was saying, your brethren, why in the world are you acting like this? Don't you get it? Come on, somebody. Don't you get it? 27, but he did this, his neighbor wrong, and he thrust Moses away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? And you're seeing the kindred and the attachment here to the messianic coming of the Lord Jesus because he's coming as a judge and he's coming as a king, and he's coming as a ruler over us. Oh, is he your king? I said, is he your king? Oh, blessed be God, he's my priest. He's already carried my offering back into the holy of holies. He's already shed his eternal blood for the sin in my life. He's already offered himself for the sins of the whole world for me. Praise God. He's not just my priest, but he's my king. He sits upon the throne of my heart. He rules the kingdoms great and small because if he's not Lord of everything, then he's not Lord at all.
Hallelujah. Oh, we used to sing when I was a kid. He's my king, and he reigns forevermore. You got, you remember that? He's my king to worship and adore. Oh, I dearly love him. There is none above him. Wonderful is he, this mighty king of glory. What a king. And brother, if he's king, you should let him rule the kingdoms of your heart. If he's the king of your life, the king of your family, the king of your home, the king of your business, the king of everything that pertains to you, is he your king? Oh, he walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. Hallelujah! Is he living in your heart this morning? Is he the king of your life? Is he the priest of your worship? Is Jesus the one that you worship and you adore? Is he your savior? Is he your deliverer? Is he your sanctifier? Is he your Holy Spirit baptizer? Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? And the next day he showed him and the neighbor said, you, you wronged him. He said, who hath made you a ruler and a judge over us? Wilt thou kill me like you did the Egyptian yesterday? And then Moses fled at this saying, and he was a stranger in the land of Midian where he begat two sons. Joel, I guess he had to go to postgraduate school. Brother, he'd already wrote the alphabet and got him a mathematical system, but now he's got to go to the desert for postgrad. He's got to go to that classroom about loneliness. He's got to go to that classroom of impoverished. He's got to go sit in that postgraduate class of survival on the backside of Midian. And one of those rebel rulers of that area, his name was Jethro. And Jethro had a daughter whose name was Zipporah. Can you say Zipporah? Way to go. You're, you're in the upper, upper end of the class. Zipporah. And with Zipporah, Moses had two sons. Can anybody in the house tell me the name of one of them? Try again. The first one's name was Gershon. You know what it means? It means I am a sojourner, a sojourner. I am a pilgrim and a stranger traveling through this weary land. I got a home in that yonder city, good Lord, and it's not Good Lordy, but it's not, not made with hands. A sojourner had a son named Gershon that means I'm a sojourner. 
You can about get it how Moses is thinking, can't you? His second son's name, anybody got it yet? No, have you hadn't been Googled it yet? And I'll give you time to Google it now. You could have won this contest. His name was Eleazar. And the name Eleazar means God has helped me. A better rendering of that Hebraic would be my father's God has helped me. How would you like to have a name? My father's God has helped me. My father's God, Moses' God has helped me. Now these two guys just go away. We don't hear very much about him anymore, especially Gershon. We find out where the other son, he, he has some children, but we don't find where Gershon, the sojourner, ever did anything but just sojourn. Moses has been over on the backside of Midian 40 years. 40 years he's been in postgraduate school. Listen, verse 30. And when 40 years were expired... 40 years in the palace at Egypt, 40 years in the desert. And when 40 years were expired, there appeared unto him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a burning bush. And when Moshe saw it, he wondered at that sight. As he drew near to behold it, the voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, I am the God of your fathers. I'm the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And then Moses trembled and durst not behold. And then said the Lord to him, Put off your shoes for the place where thou standest is holy. I have seen, I have seen the affliction of my people, which is in Egypt. And I have heard their groaning. And I am come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send thee into Egypt. Praise God. Eighty years old. Just got out of finishing school. And God said, I'm sending you to Egypt. Oh, Lord, surely you've got a better place to send me than Egypt. Brother, there's bad things going on in Egypt. There's a Pharaoh down there that hates me. In fact, I'm a fugitive. There's wanted posters everywhere with my picture on it. I ran out of there 40 years ago. My Lord, surely you don't want me to go back to a place I have run from. And God said, I've heard my people. I've heard their cry. I've heard their supplication. They've been praying. They've been calling on me. They've been ringing those prayer bells. And I've heard their cry. And God said, and I am come down. I am come down to deliver them. Glory to God. God's a coming. Oh boy, things are bad. Pharaoh's killing people and Pharaoh's beating up people. He's put tasks on us we can't bear. He's making us make these bricks for these pyramids. He's making us work. And that whip and all of that beating that we go through, it's, it's tough, but God's coming. 
God said, I'm coming. I am come down. I am come down. Oh, when you walk through those challenging times in your life, you need to say that. God's coming down. God's coming down. I sent the prayer up. I've sent the prayer up. I've sent the message up. I've, I've called upon his name. I've, I've sent the word up. I, I've, I've done the supplication. I, I've done the prayer time. and I've called upon him. And he said if I would call upon him, he would, he would hear my cry. He said if I would call him, he would answer. He said if I would call on him in the day of trouble, he said I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. Brother, when God comes down, things happen. Things happen when God come down. Our fathers, Moses was so disappointed to whom our fathers would not obey, verse 30, but thrust him from them, and in their hearts they turned back again into Egypt. Can you imagine, folks, that you thought gets it? You wake up one day and they don't gets it anymore. They've gone through difficulty. They've gone through hardship. And they've got to a place to where it's so laborious and it's so tough for them. They've said, let's go back to Egypt. Have you lost your mind? What in the world? Would you put out something like that? Let's go back to Egypt. It was better in Egypt for us to be out here in this wilderness wandering around. Got this rock following us around to get water out of a rock. We had springs when we were down in Egypt. And we were eating this old manna and eating this old light bread. I hate that stuff. It's just manna in the morning, manna in the evening, manna when the sun goes down. It's manna, manna, manna. I'm sick of manna. Let's go back to Egypt. They've got melons over there. They got spices. They've got onions and they got garlic and they got cucumbers. Why don't we just pack up, tell Moses, goodbye, we're going back to Egypt. Oh, great God, don't ever let that happen, Lord. God forbid that where we came from becomes more important to us than where we're going. To whom our fathers would obey, but they thrust them from them, said, get out of our way, and in their hearts they turned back, saying to Aaron, make us another God, make us gods, to go before us, for as for this Moses, which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we want not what has become of him. He's A-W-O-L. Verse 41, they didn't know where it was. He's up there praying. He's on Mount Sinai getting the Decalogue. And they made a calf in those days, and they offered sacrifice unto the idol, and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Verse 42, come on, Olivia. Verse 42, 
Then God turned. Uh-oh. Then God turned. Hmm. God turned. Gave them up to worship the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, O ye house of Israel, have ye offered to me slain beasts? What in the world were they worshiping in heaven? Brother Irwin, Moloch was a god. It was a brass bull. Renfran was part of the stars. What they were seeing was when it said the heavens, they worshiped in the heavens. It means they became astrologers. They became worshiping stars. Rimfram would mean something like Saturn. Another one of their gods was Mayan, M-I-Y-A-N, Mayan. And it means a wandering star that you find in different parts of the heaven. These are their gods. These are their, are, are their, their temporal things that they, they see and that they worship. And here they have gone off into idolatry and are worshiping these, these gods. One was a, a tree whose name was Tetartus. When God turned, he gave them up to worship the stars. Have ye offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of 40 years in the wilderness? Mm, yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Moloch, an idol god, and the star, the Rimroth, of your god, Remphan, figures which you made to worship them, and I will carry you away to Babylon. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he had appointed, speaking to Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion that he'd seen which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drave out before the face of our fathers under the days of David. In other words, the Ark of the Covenant was in the hands of Gentiles because the people of God had mishandled it and the people of God had disregarded it and had been idolatrous and turned their hearts away from it. And God said that the Ark of the Covenant would be among the Gentiles until David. When that sweet singing David, David, play your harp. When that sweet singer of Israel started anticipating a revival that would involve the Spirit of God, the living God, the Ark of the Covenant, the visible symbol of the presence of God, he said, that's got to come back home. That tabernacle is just another building until the presence of God comes back. Woo! That place over there is just a shell. It's just walls and it's just a roof and it's just the floor. Yes, it's the tabernacle. It's where the Spirit of God used to dwell. It's where the presence of God used to be. But praise God, if we're going to have the revival we want to see God give us, We've got to get that presence back in the house of God so that it'll become a tabernacle of God once again, a temple of the living God once again. Oh, church of God, when will we ever realize that these are just 
doors and plaster walls. They're just a building. It's the presence of God that makes it a church. It's the presence of God that will bring healing and bring forgiveness. It's the presence of God, the power of the Holy Ghost in our midst that will change the tide and make the church become a place of refuge and healing and forgiveness for desperate people. Can you say amen to that? Woo! Well, my Lord, I brought five sermons to the pulpit this morning and I didn't get to but one of them. You ever do that, Don? I load the gun too big. We'll have to shoot it some more next Sunday. Hearts, uncircumcised hearts and uncircumcised ears never seem to get it. It seems like Israel has never got it. Jesus came and they never realized. He came unto His own. His own received Him not. Didn't know the Son of God. Didn't recognize the promise of God. Wow. Stand with me, please. Got to pray with you before you go. said I love it when he comes down Karen Edwards I believe God's got a touch for you you're all right right there hon I don't know a better person that lives the life than Karen does. One of the most sincere people that I, I know. Has been for many years, Mark. She's served the Lord a long time. This is some oil. If I can get the lid off of it. Let me quote you a scripture. Put it on the screen. James 5, 14. Is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer, the prayer, the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. Karen, two weeks ago, I couldn't hardly walk. I was a whole bent double. I was in a mess. I, last Sunday, something popped, didn't it? <laughs> something popped last Sunday. You know what? I'm all over the place now. There's no power in that oil. It's only in the obedience to what God's Word says. God, I lay my hands upon this believing Christian. Your back, your Word says, was striped for our healing. Your Word says that at Calvary's cross, you purchased for us a healing.
God. Karen believes that. She's prayed and been healed before herself. And we believe you right now, God, to touch her body. I believe right now, oh God, that your power will go into her body. Touch her spine right now, oh Lord, her back. God, there's a healing touch that needs to be done. There's a surgery that the Spirit can do in her back and can correct whatever's causing this pain. God, you're the great physician. You're the one who made these bodies and you're able to correct them and heal them. And I ask you, O oh God, with all the faith in this world that I can muster, that you would stretch forth your mighty hand and your outstretched arm and let the glory and the presence and the power of the Spirit of God touch Karen. Oh God, begin a healing in her body, O oh Lord, right now. Oh God, just let the grace and power, the healing virtue. Mm, thank you, Spirit of God. Thank you, Spirit of God. I praise you for what you're doing right now. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God. Bless your name, Jesus. Bless your name, Jesus. God, let this pain subside and give her deliverance and let it begin now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Karen, Jesus said, Whatsoever you ask in my name, I will do it. I will do it. Somebody say, I will do it. I will do it. Amen. God, here's another that suffers with her back. God, I know that you're able to touch her. Joan needs a touch of your spirit. We prayed a prayer Wednesday night. God, I believe that touched your heart. And I believe that you have begun a healing in her body. And I believe, oh God, in Jesus' name, that you're going to strengthen her and help her, O oh Lord, and minister to her and touch this pain. Cause it, O oh Lord, to stop and give her deliverance and healing in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Somebody say amen. Amen, 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 amen. Amen, amen. Mike, I believe this. I believe this. There was Bill Dockery, you his pastor one time, Brother Ford. I was preaching at Northport in Tuscaloosa. Yes, I did get out of that town. They didn't keep me. Bill Dockery, when he come in church that night, he, he was like this right here. And walk, walked in church just, just like that, I promise. If I can do it like he did it. Just like that. He said, I need prayer for my back, Brother Irwin. And I never will forget it. He's a big guy. And I'm not hardly tall as him. Like I got him about the belt right there. And when I touched his belt, the power of the Spirit of God touched Bill Docker. And he flopped out of my hand and started spinning like a top. And God gloriously healed him, Charles, right there on that spot. If I'm lying, I'm dying. I'm telling you the honest to God truth. I have seen that with my own eyes. 
He'll do for you what no other power can do. I believe he's going to do something for somebody this morning. Got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you cannot tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible. He'll do for you what no other power can do. Glory to God. Glory to God. Why don't you put those antennas right straight up in the air like that? God, I thank you for your spirit I feel in this house today. I thank you for the anointing of the Holy Ghost. I thank you for the liberty to preach. I thank you for your anointing. I thank you for these people that have sat and listened to this Pentecostal preacher tell that God can do what his word says he will do. I pray, O oh Lord, that if there are people here today that have burdens, that have have problems that have difficulties and mountains they can't get through and have have difficulties in their home, their family. In Jesus' name, I pray right now, oh God, that every problem, every hindrance, every mountain, every river, every valley, every hurt, every pain, every sorrow, in Jesus' name, I command it to depart from that Christian and that believer in Jesus' name. I pronounce right now that you are free by the power of God. Hallelujah. Reach right out there and take hold of your deliverance. Reach out there and take hold of your freedom. In Jesus' name, it's yours right now. Thank you, God. It's yours right now. Reach out there and take it. Take it by faith. Lord, I'll not leave this place like I came in Jesus' name. I'll not leave here today with any kind of a burden or a hardship on me in Jesus' name. I am free from every oppression. I'm free from every burden. Oh, blessed be God. David said, when I saw everybody else getting blessed and I wasn't getting blessed, I was sad and I was, he said, it was, it was really a problem for me. And he said, I started talking to God and said, I told God, this is just too painful for me. Hey, these people come to church and they leave some things that's painful. Sometimes you bring things to church with you that's painful. Amen? Painful emotionally. Painful, not just physically, but spiritually and mentally. That's painful. David said it was too painful for me. But the next verse of the 73rd Psalm, he said, But then I went to the house of God. But then I went to the house of God. And he said, When I got to the house of God, he said, There I understood. There I understood that it's not about right now, it's about over yonder. Hallelujah. It's not about what happens to me here, it's what's going to happen to me when I get there. Praise God. Isn't that great? I love it like that, don't you? I love it like that. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah.